Uh, the conference, if you didn't know it, has a theme. That theme is Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. It's right there on your name tag if you forget it. Um, but it, the, my version, I don't know what your version says. My version says this, have I not commanded you? There's one, that's a question. Next he says, be good, sorry, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So what we're going to do here in these three sessions is we're going we're to focus on one part of this verse. So tonight is the first part where it says, have I not commanded you? That's the question that we'll be looking at. Okay, has the Lord not commanded us? Second, uh, tomorrow morning we'll look at be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. And then tomorrow night we'll look at the fact that our Lord is with us wherever we go. So tonight we're going to answer the question, have I not commanded you? Now, what did he command Joshua? What's the context here in the book of Joshua? Well, it's very simple. It's to take the land. They've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years because of their remarkable lack of faith in the beginning. I mean, just think. They saw 10 plagues. They saw God move in incredible ways. They saw an 80-year-old dude come out of the wilderness and lead a, a rebellion against the strongest nation in the world, and he won. They saw all this. And yet, when they saw the land, they couldn't help but focus on the giants. Rather than focusing on the Lord, they focused on the problem. And, and that is, that's a problem. We do the exact same thing. We focus on the problem rather than on the solution that's standing right in front of us. They, they now have the opportunity to take the land. And let me ask you, was that easy? You can respond when I ask questions. Just so you guys know, like, I, I really like feedback. Like, again, I just came from youth pastor conference, so, like, I would really love it. Is that an easy task? Yes, it is. No, I'm kidding. No, it's not. You're right. Why was it not easy? Number one, because they were hated. They were hated. You're hated. You're hated for what you believe. What you believe is now considered hate speech. They were hated. They, they were great enemies in the land. Number two, they were outnumbered. You're outnumbered. It doesn't feel like it right now in this room, but you are. And lastly, they were unqualified. And I, mean, I know I just met you, but <laughs> you're unqualified. You and I have no business ever traversing in the realm of spiritual things, and yet the Lord allows us to. They were unqualified. Why? Well, because they weren't warriors. These are wilderness wanderers. Okay? These, were, these were slaves prior. Um, then 40 years later, the second generation, all they've known is walking in the wilderness. They're not training. They're not warriors. They're, they're not a militia. They're not an army. In other words, guys, listen, there was no reason why any of this should have worked. None whatsoever. No reason. The only hope that they had for victory was simple. It was obedience. That's the only hope that they had for victory. And wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, listen carefully, had slowly and painfully taught them that lesson. It's those lessons that are so important that we don't want to learn that the Lord allows us because we're so stupid and thick-headed. I won't speak for you all, say because I'm so stupid and thick-headed. He takes me through difficult seasons. Also, that at the end of that season, I'll come out learning an incredibly important lesson. Their lesson, trust God. They had no food, so what did he teach them in the wilderness? I'll, I'll provide food for you. They had no water, so what did he say? I'll give you water. They only had the shoes on their feet, so what did he say? I'll make those things last. Some of you have rainbows. 
And you're like, man, these things have lasted me for five years. Like, no, 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 10 years, great. Theirs lasted 40, take that. Okay, like, I mean, these guys, they have learned in the wilderness to trust the Lord. Now, because of what they had learned in the wilderness, they now approach the first place to take was Jericho. And they approach Jericho with the mindset that says this, I don't know how God is going to give us the victory, but I know that he will. And that's a mindset that I think is worth mimicking. And I want you just to kind of get in their heads. They're, they're approaching the walls of Jericho, and they're like, all right, we have a new leader. I mean, you guys have kind of experienced this, right? You guys have had a transition in leadership at your church. Um, the, the church got really used to looking at one leader. The children of Israel got used to looking at one leader. And now there's a new leader. And they go, okay, he's the guy. This is the one who the Lord has called anointed. And, and we're about to take the land. And he has a plan. So let's all listen to, to our new mighty leader in his great plan. He's like, all right, guys, so here's the deal. I just, I just met with the Lord, just he and I. I mean, we're tight. And so he was telling me how we're going to take the land. You guys ready? They're like, yeah, you guys. He's like, all right, day one, day one. We're going to march around Jericho. Day two, we're going to do it again. No, just hear me. Day three, run it back, baby. Right? <laughs> he gets all the way to day seven. They're sitting there like, we traded Moses for this clown? Like, are you kidding me? Where's Pastor Raz? Right? Okay. He's like, day, day, day seven, day seven, we're going to do that seven times. But then I'm going to have the priests come, and they're going to, and so, you know, we'll win. <laughs> what? Like, I mean, this is the most ludicrous plan anyone could have ever, no weapons, no warriors, nothing. And what do you read when you, when you read that story? Pure, unadulterated obedience. No questioning, no going, no, no, no guy in the back, um, hey, Joshua, <laughs> uh, that's really stupid. Like, that, that ain't never going to work. N never. Listen, why? Here's the lesson I want you to listen to. They did not reason themselves out of obedience. That's a problem in our day. God tells us what to do. It's pretty plain. And we go, well, okay, but Lord, that don't make no sense. Like, I mean, that, that's stupid, right? I mean, that's like the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I, I can't obey that. I mean, do you know what the psychologist would say? Do you know what the world would say? Like, that, that's crazy talk. I can't obey. These guys obeyed even when it made no earthly sense. And you know what? The walls came crashing down. Listen, it worked. It worked. And I'm here to tell you, I promise you, living a life as God prescribes works. If you don't believe me, ask any joyful believer who's been walking with the Lord for any length of time. I said joyful on purpose because I've met a lot of just crotchety old believers that I'm like, dude, please don't tell anyone you're a Christian. Like, please. But the joyful ones, talk to them because they're living um, in the will of God. So how do we apply this to our life? Well, here's the reality. We too have been commanded by the Lord. Okay, now granted, it's not to take a city, and it's not to take a city this way, but the Lord has commanded each and every one of us to do several different things. And so, how, I mean, we could go a thousand different directions with this. So the, the one I went was to talk about a command that, that I think most people in our day and age struggle with greatly, and that is dealing with worry. 
or anxiety. Part of the reason I picked this is because I, I had already written three sermons for the young adults group on the life of David, and uh, I text Zach, and I'm like, hey man, um, just want to make sure I can teach these studies, right? And he's like, oh no, sorry, I meant to tell you I, I, the theme's going to be in Joshua. I'm like, oh. In three weeks, huh? He's like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, great. So I began to worry, and I'd apply this principle to my own life. But the reality is, guys, every single one of us at least is tempted in the area of worry. So I want to talk to you guys tonight about how, how does God tell us to deal with this? How does God tell us to deal with this? So we turn to Matthew chapter uh, 6. We pick up in verse 25. It says, therefore, I say to you, you want to hear how simple it is? Do not worry. Oh, Okay. <laughs> Just march around the, the, the city seven times, and then don't worry, the priest will blow the trumpet. Well, but that, that, that doesn't work. Trust me, this works. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Let me just say that again in case we miss it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at verse 26. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither reap, or sorry, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Listen, are you not of more value than they? I think a foundational place to start in dealing with this passage is to answer the question what is worry? And I'm going to use worry and anxiety synonymously, okay, just so you guys know. So if I say worry or anxiety, I mean the exact same thing. We've confused ourselves on the topic of worry because like the word love, we have one word to describe many different things, okay? Like the word love, we say, I love pizza, I love, I don't know, the ocean, I love my wife. I sure hope we love these things very differently, Okay? Um, anxiety is very similar. There's a, there's a lot of different types of anxiety. So for our context, let me just tell you of at least four different types of anxiety and then tell you what I believe Jesus is talking about in this passage. Number one, I'll call it beneficial anxiety. And yes, I know what I just said. Beneficial anxiety. This is the God-given psychological or physiological response that we have when we face dangerous situations that can actually be helpful. For example, if I don't know, you're in the woods and you see a mother bear robbed of her cubs and she's looking at you and she's got that foaming mouth and growling. I hope you have the physiological response of anxiety in that moment, right? You'll feel the fear. The emotion will then drive you and fuel your legs to get pumping and run in the opposite direction. It's very natural and even beneficial. Second type of anxiety is what I'll just call simply physiological anxiety or if you like, a mental disorder, mental disorder. Now, this is above my pay grade, um, so I'm not going to spend much time on this other than to, to quote a pastor who is also a psychologist um, from a church in Virginia who says this. He's solid, by the way. Um, he says, for some people, anxiety manifests as a physiological malfunction that has become both disordered and debilitating. Some symptoms include persistent anxious thoughts on most days of the week for six months. When the anxiety interferes with daily functions or when you have anxiety-related symptoms such as trouble sleeping, these are often symptoms of a medical condition such as generalized anxiety disorder, panic disorder, or social anxiety. 
In such cases, a person should seek help from a counselor or a physician. This sort of anxiety is not the type we consider sinful. Now listen, that that means that there is a physiological condition where one's brain is sick. But please listen, this doesn't mean that all anxiety one in that situation experiences is because of the disorder. We, we, We live in a day where we want to blame something for how we are. And so if, we, if you do have that physiological disorder, if your brain is sick, you still can deal with the sin of anxiety, okay? Third, and now we're getting closer to the target, anxiety um, that is a result of sinful lifestyle. It's a third type. Anxiety that's a result. It's the fruit of how you've chosen to live. This would be an example of substance abuse that can lead to clinical anxiety that we just talked about as well as the panic or anxiety of how you're going to get that illegal substance inside of you. If not a substance, how about gambling? If you've ever, if you've ever gone down that road, you begin to gamble, and you're feeling great, and then you see the money start going away, and what happens? Anxiety. Okay? Uh, the anxiety of being found out. Regardless of what sin you're hiding, if you are hiding a sin, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That, that anxiety that sets in if somebody grabs your phone Because you're terrified that they might see the history. You're terrified they might see your activity on social media. Okay? Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's a different sin that you're struggling with. But that that sin, because you've been hiding it, you don't want anyone to know. And so even now, perhaps I'm talking to you and you go, don't move, just keep looking straight. If I twitch, someone's going to know it's me. That anxiety that you're currently feeling, that's what I'm talking about as a result of sinful living. But then fourthly and finally, and I think the bullseye of what Jesus is talking about, we'll just call it sinful anxiety. Sinful anxiety. And how how do we know if we're dealing with this? Well, I thought this was a really good quote. I unfortunately don't remember where I found it. But it's been said that sinful anxiety or worry can give you a long list of, of symptoms. It gives a small thing a big shadow. It takes a small problem, and it blows it out of proportion. This is sinful. Another example, sinful um, anxiety is the interest we pay on tomorrow's troubles. Getting, getting way too ahead of yourself. Another one is sinful anxiety over tomorrow pulls shadows over today's sunshine. I thought that was really, really telling. I use this all the time in counseling. Anxiety is like a rocking chair. It will give you something to do, but it won't get you anywhere. That's how a lot of us were like, oh, I'm just fretting over here. <laughs> I feel like I'm being productive even though I'm not moving, right? But I'm doing something. Yeah, what you're doing is you're staying awake and not sleeping, okay? You're driving yourself and others insane. Sinful anxiety is an indication that we think God cannot look after us. That's a big one. We'll talk more about it. Sinful anxiety is putting question marks where God puts periods. That was so good. God gives a command. We put a question mark right there. Sinful anxiety is an intrusion into God's providence. It's a guest admitted, which quickly turns to a master. Sure, why don't you just come in for a little bit, and then you find out that you're bowing to this master. Listen, it never robs tomorrow of its sorrow. It only saps today of its strength. It's not going to help. Lastly, Anxiety is practical atheism as it does not believe in God. 
Clearly, this is the type of anxiety or worry that Jesus is dealing with. Now, to drive this point home even more, listen to what the word worry in the Greek means. It literally means to care for something, but it carries with it the idea of taking the care and concern of something on yourself. You don't need to do it, but you're doing it. In other words, the foundational sin that leads to anxiety, please listen carefully, is a control problem. It's a control problem. You want to be in control. Sinful anxiety is trusting yourself. It's trusting your ability. It's trusting even your perspective or worldview more than God, his ability, or his worldview. And it stems from believing, even though you would never say it, believing that you're better than God, believing you know more than God, believing you have the ability to handle a situation more than God can. Why would I waste time praying? I got to figure out this problem right now. You see? We all do it. We all do it. I, guys, I do it when it comes to like preaching. I'm like, oh gosh, I got to put that sermon together. I don't have time to pray. Like, are you, you are an idiot, <laughs> right? Like you must spend time praying, but we go, no, 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 God, I don't have time for you because I'm trying to figure this out. And unfortunately, the sin is so prevalent within the church. But the reality is, is this, listen, anxiety isn't control. You think it is, but rather it's the stress over the realization that you're not in control. That's what anxiety is. You think it's control, but it's stress over the realization that you are not in control. You go, well, great, thanks. We are now thoroughly depressed. Um, We're at this beautiful place. Now what do we do? Well, listen, let me give you some answers. Biblically, how do we rid ourselves of sin, um, the sin of worry or anxiety? Well, I would tell you this. Number one, give control or give your cares to the Lord. It's 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. We know it, casting all your care upon him. Why? For he cares for you. All the cares that you have tried to rip from God, Peter tells us to put those right back in their proper place. His hands, not yours. Now, why should we cast our cares on him? Well, Peter just said, because he cares about you. We always, we always skip over that. Some of us, we, we deal with pride. We'll talk about this in another study. Some of us deal with pride, and we think, well, of course, God chose me. Look at me. <laughs> Jerk, right? Most of us, most of us, we, we deal with crippling um, low self-esteem. And we go, how could God ever use a, a fool like me? Please listen. We bypass that part of this verse, God loves you in a purer way than you could ever love yourself. More than that, he'll take care of you in a better way than you can take care of yourself. You go, no, but he doesn't give me what I want. He's like, yeah, because he knows it's going to hurt you, right? When my kids were super little, I mean like tiny, tiny, um, I'll never forget the scene. We lived in an apartment and we, we had a stovetop that was all glass, but underneath it was the coils. You guys, you guys remember this? You can find it in history books, okay? Um, the, the coils, would they, they would get red, okay? Now, red's pretty, right? So I got two little girls and a little boy. The, the girls are older. The little boy wasn't quite here yet. And I remember my, my daughter looked at it, and, and she wanted to touch it. That, that She wanted to touch that thing more than anything in the world. Every time I turned that, that sting and so on, she was like, oh, and she wanted to go for it, right? What, what I have to do, I just smack her little hand and be like, no. Why? Because that thing's going to hurt like crazy. But every time, but I want to touch it. I want it. I mean, over and over. We do the same thing. God's like, no, don't do that. We're like, but it's so pretty. He's like, I know, fool. Don't touch it. Like, 
It's going to burn you. And we just keep trying over and over. God cares for you better than you can care for yourself. And we go, okay, well, that's great. Pastors do this all the time. We say, cast your cares upon the Lord. And we just move on. You go, that's wonderful. How? How? I'm glad you asked. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 tells us. I know you know it. It's all basic. But be anxious for nothing. I want you to tell me, be anxious for what? Nothing. 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 Not be anxious for, you know, some things. Like the really big things. No, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, don't miss this. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Guys, listen. We cast our cares through general prayer requests and supplications. What are supplications? Okay, real quick. We're, we live in a day... It blows me away. We live in a day where there are so many distractions constantly, constantly. There, we, I mean, that, that is like what our, our life is. You watch a movie and it like the, the um, scene flips and then flips and then flips. And if it's like more than three seconds, we're like, why is this movie so slow, right? Distractions all the time. And yet, if it thunders outside, we're all like, during a teaching, like, <laughs> someone walks in and we're like, Oh, wait, wait. I know he's talking about the things of the Lord, but they're walking. It's like we've never seen someone. It blows me away. Anyways, welcome, guys. Um, God bless you. That's not an attack on you guys. It was more an attack on everybody else, okay? Um, We we ran it back in. How do we cast our cares upon the Lord? Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for? But in? Good. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We cast our cares through general prayer and in supplications. What supplications? It's our deep, most concerning, and urgent request. Deep, most concerning, and urgent request. And we go, oh, that's great. I can do that. I can cast my cares upon the Lord. I, I can pray. I can give him my big request. Great. But did you miss the, the next two words? With thanksgiving. And you go, oh, I can't do that, though. I can't do that. See, guys, we, we cast our cares with thanksgiving. You want to know what's missing when someone is committing the sin of anxiety? Thanksgiving. That's missing. And I don't mean the holiday. What's there to be thankful for when you're trying to do everything? Nothing. You're hoarding all of your cares and you're refusing to let them go. Therefore, a very freeing step in dealing with the sin of anxiety is to be thankful. Be thankful. Be thankful for God's care. Be, be thankful that you don't have to bear it alone. I'm, I'm a super, super competitive guy, like too competitive. Um, it has ruined many things in my life. Anyone else like that? All right. Let's compete this week. It'll be great. Um, so golfing, I, I, I've done a lot of golfing in my life. I thought I was really good until I met a couple guys in my church that are actually really good. They were pros, and I was like, oh, I've never done that with a golf ball before. But anyways, back when I thought I was good and I actually cared about it, um, I, I remember I, w- I would uh, play golf with my pastor back in Arizona. And, and you just think of how stupid this is. You're taking a little white ball, and you're just trying to put it out in an open area. That's it. And if I don't put that little white ball in that spot and it goes that way, I'm just, I'm incensed. And I remember I'd get so frustrated that I couldn't put that stupid little white sphere out on the earth somewhere. And my pastor would go, yeah, no, I get it, man. I mean, at least your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. (laughs) I'm like, I'll kill you. It's just like so, so frustrating. 
No matter what, if you're a Christian, you have that to be thankful for. No matter what. If you've heard the doctor tell you that that you don't have long to live, you've got that to be thankful for. If, If you just got fired from your job, you have that to be thankful for. If you're going through the most emotional stress you've ever gone through in your entire life, you've been betrayed by a friend or a family member, at least your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You see, we now have no excuse to not be thankful. We cast our cares upon him. And what does it say? He promises. Challenge him in this promise. He promises that he will guard, it's a military term, he will guard our hearts and our minds. (laughs) And you just think about how brilliant this is. This is ancient writing. Where does anxiety reside? In our hearts and in our minds. We feel anxious, that's your heart, because we think anxiously, that's our mind. And God says, if you give that to me through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, I will guard both of those areas that are most under attack. It was the late, great Warren Wearsby who said, from the, from the spiritual point of view, worry is wrong thinking and wrong feeling, the mind and the heart, about circumstances, people, and things. Worry is the greatest thief of joy. Did you hear it? Maybe you're not joyful here and you see others and you get so frustrated that you don't have their joy. Is it because you have a worry problem? Worry, according to Wearsby, is the greatest thief of joy. It is not enough for us, however, to tell ourselves to, quote, quit worrying because that will never capture the thief. Rather, worry is an inside job and it takes more than good intentions to get the victory. The antidote to worry is the secure mind. And I'll add to the quote, the secure mind only happens with prayer and thanksgiving, with prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving. Well, Jesus goes on in verse 25 to say, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? There's so much more to life than the temporal, materialistic stuff that often consumes so much of our time. I mean, this point was driven home to me um, when, when I moved from Tucson the place, the land of the greatest food in the entire world. Do I have any Mexican food fans in here? My people. My people. Tucson is 60 miles north of the border. <laughs> and the, the, the state of Mexico that is just south of Tucson is Sonora. The best Mexican food in the world is in Sonora, Mexico. Do you want to know where there is no good Sonoran Mexican food? Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, And that is where I moved. Guys, I had to learn this painful lesson that life is more than food. And I learn it every day because of where I live. Jesus goes on to say, look at the birds of the air, guys. I mean, look at the birds of the air. They They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? Side point. Humans are more valuable than animals. That's, it's crazy that that's like a, like a shocking reality in our day and age. But humans are more valuable than that. But please don't mistake lack of worry as being disinterested or even lazy. Someone goes, oh, man, I don't worry about anything. I just sit down and play my Switch all day. Eventually, guys, God's going to give me like a college degree or something, right? Like that's what it says. No, 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 no. Look at the example. The example are the birds of the air. They don't sit around and do nothing. They work. They work without worrying. You got to get to work, okay? Verse 27, 
because we've got to speed things up because of the promise I made you at the beginning. And some of you are questioning that. I promise we are almost done. He says, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? A cubit's pretty big. I, I would have said one inch. Did it ever happen? No, it hasn't. In other words, worrying is pointless. That's what Jesus says. Worrying is pointless. It's been said that worriers, they feel every blow that never falls. You ever experienced that before? I know you have. You worry about a situation. You, you have to have that difficult conversation with that person. You, you're, you're going into a job interview, whatever. You're in a new place. You're worrying and worrying and worrying, and then it never happens. Never happens. Worriers feel every blow that never falls. They cry over things they will never lose. He says it's pointless. Now, even though worrying is pointless, we have the tendency to worry before and more than we pray. Isn't it crazy? There's a problem out there, and we go, well, before I, want, before I hit my knees, let me go to that rocking chair real quick and just sit there and worry about this thing. Let me stay up late at night and just think and think and think about this thing. It was Corey Tenboom who said, if a case is too small to be turned into a prayer, it is most certainly too small to be made into a burden. If you're not praying about it, why are you worrying about it? We move on, because I told you we would. See? Verse 28 through 30. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Verse 30. Now if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Isn't it such a practical question when he says, why do you worry about clothing? This is a great question. Especially in your generation. I mean, my generation too, a little bit, but your generation. Your generation is obsessed with, with image, right? You, you got to look a certain way. You got to be a certain way. You got to put yourself out there a certain way. And he's like, why? What, what does it matter? <laughs> I remember for me, the, the first time I, I began to worry about clothing, I was, I was a little late to the game, I'll be honest with you. Um, I, I didn't know anything about style whatsoever, and some still argue I, I still don't. But... When I was a freshman in high school, I'm telling you, every single day, jeans and a white t-shirt. I mean, it was bad, guys. I don't know if you have ever met someone who has the, the pit stains in the white shirt that turn like kind of yellow. I was that kid, okay? Um, I mean, I just didn't care. I, I didn't know to care, okay? But <laughs> there was this girl. There was this girl. It'll always happen to you, man. Oh, they'll get you. Um, and so... She, she um, I had a huge crush on her. Her name was Amy. I'm not married to her. Um, so you know how that story played out. Um, but anyways, uh, she said to me, hey, um, I would love to help you with your style. And I didn't know what that meant. I was like, anything you would love to help me with, I would love for you to help me with. <laughs> so she, she took me to the mall. You can also find those in your history book, um, the place that kids used to go for fun back in the day. Um, anyways, uh, she took me to uh, American Eagle. She got me cargo shorts because that was, I mean, that was all the rage, guys. I had pockets everywhere. I'm like, I could put things anywhere I want. That was amazing. Got me an orange shirt. Never wore orange. It was a polo. I had a collar on. I was like, what is this? No joke. I, I had a shaved head because I didn't care. My dad shaved it because I didn't care. Um, she's like, maybe you should, you know, grow your hair. I was like, anything you want, girl. Anything you want. So I grew my hair out just a little bit. Um, and, and I remember I, I, I went and got a haircut, um, like actually like faded. It was just like, poof. like that's how I was growing up. I was like, like this? And she's like, nope, not like that. Um, so I go and I get a haircut. They, they like trim up the sides and, you know, and I, 
I look fresh. Um, so <laughs> I, I show up at school with, with my new outfit, my new do, and I'm, I'll never forget it. A girl named Alana Pretty, not the girl who I like, but I walk into the school office and she goes, whoa. I'm like, that's right. right? I mean, I'm telling you, like, <laughs> I, was, I was just, I mean, I was the king, man. And, uh, and it dawned on me later that day, I was like, man, I, I look super fly. Like, everyone's just like, they're noticing, right? And it dawned on me as I was going home, I was like, oh, shoot, that's, that is literally my only outfit that's not what I always wear. And immediately I began to work. So I was like, what, what am I going to do? Like, I'm going to go back to the mall. I'm going to get the wrong thing. I'm going to be wearing pink and stuff. Like, it's going to be crazy, right? Pink's cool now. But back in the day, that wasn't cool, right? I mean, I'm telling you, like, it, this is going to, I worried like you wouldn't believe so I had to ask another girl who I didn't like if she would come help me, and she helped me. So there's the rest of that story. Anyways, we worry over stupid, stupid things, like what we're going to wear, like how we look, rather than how we're living. It's amazing. It, Jesus says, consider the lilies of the field. Look, look, look at how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet they're arrayed in better clothes than Solomon, who had it all. It was Spurgeon who said, clothes must not be made much of, for in our finest array, listen, flowers far excel us. Did you hear that? The best you got, nature beats. The best you got. He says, we must not be anxious about how we shall be clad. I love how he speaks. For the field lilies, not under a gardener's care, are more glorious as the most pompous of monarchs, and yet they enjoy life free from labor and thought. Lovely lilies, how ye rebuke our foolish nervousness. The array of lilies comes without fret. Why do we kill ourselves? Listen, why do we kill ourselves with care about that which God gives to the plants which cannot care? Why? Why are we wasting so much time? I'll tell you why. Because you want to be better than that person or at least on par with them. You want to be noticed you definitely don't want to be me like I was, at least as a freshman. We can't handle that. That Our whole life would come crashing down. Jesus says, no fools, your life is out of order. Okay. Now, I'm not saying that you all need to dress in baggy jeans and white shirts with pit stains. That's not my point. Okay. But when we care more about that than we should, life is imbalanced. Verse 31 through 33, almost done. Therefore, therefore, because of all that I just said, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Did you catch that? God already knows. He knows your needs, but we want him to know our wants. Verse 33, he deals with that. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Guys, be about God's business and be about it God's way, and allow him to take care of all the rest. Now, I mean, I think it goes without being said, but so many people have taken this out of context. They say, if you seek the kingdom, then God's going to give you everything you want. Guys, listen, God is appealing to our faith, not our greed. Whenever I hear that, I'm like, how do you misunderstand the Bible so deeply? To say, you know, if, if you give to my ministry, there's a tenfold blessing on my ministry, and God's going to make you rich. It's like, really, you think that's what that was about? Like, no. God's appealing to your, to your faith. That's what he's asking for you to trust him even in these things. Okay, we go on and we finish verse 34. Therefore, again, see, he's just building these ideas. Therefore, once again, the third time he says, do not worry 
about tomorrow. Listen to this. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient, sufficient for the day is its own troubles. Isn't there enough to worry about today? Like, why are we worrying about tomorrow? Do, do you not have enough on your plate right now? That's Jesus' point. So focus on God today and trust that he will care for you. All right, guys, in conclusion, you guys have been awesome. I do, like I said, want to honor your time. So let me give you a strategy for winning over worry in three steps, okay? If you struggle with worry and you want to know how to win, let me give you three steps. Number one, identify specific worries. That's number one. Identify specific worries. Number two, work to change what you can. Okay? Do what you can, no doubt. Work to change what you can. But then number three, this is key, leave what you can't change with God. There's nothing you can do. My wife is unbelievably good at not worrying. I'm not so much. But we'll hear our kids have got something. Every one of our kids, just so you know, <laughs> when you have kids, and for those of us in the back table who do, um, this is what happens. You have kids and they all face something that the doctor or a friend will say this to you. I've never heard of that before. It's crazy. It's, it's unbelievable. And every time the doctor goes, I don't know. I don't have an answer for this. Every time I begin to freak out. My oldest daughter, she has this weird thing where, where out of nowhere she has to like stop. She almost loses balance and she, her eyes almost kind of roll back in her head. And then she's like, and I'm good. It goes on for one week. The first day happens like two or three times. The second day happens like six times. Then it happens like 40, 50 times. And then, then it peters off and it's gone for six months. And then it comes back. No doctor has told us what it is. We cannot figure it out. I, every single time it happens, my stomach is, and I worry. Okay. Um, let's see. Things have happened with our middle daughter. I can't think of right now. Classic middle kid. Dang it. I feel so bad about that. Um, but... <laughs> I'm the worst. I love her like crazy. She's awesome. Um, she's broken her arm before. I worried about that. Um, anyways, I think of something. It's just not there. Um, our, our son, he has these big lumps in, in his armpits. Um, he, he's had them since he was four, and I'm like freaking out. So I'm in the doctor's, and the doctor goes, um, yeah, I'm not sure what that is. Um, I mean, it could just be swollen lymph nodes. It could be leukemia, lymphoma. I'm not sure. I'm like, oh, that's all, huh? It just could be cancer. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, he could die next week. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I'm just freaking out. They're like, we're just going to order some blood work. No big deal. I'm like, yeah, it's no big deal. This is my son. I mean, I'm telling you. Do the blood work, the whole nine, and find out at that time in his life, it was, they said it was nothing, and I, my worry's gone because the doctor said it was nothing. Every instance, my son with the lumps, my oldest daughter with the things with her eyes, my middle daughter with anything that she ever deals with, um, <laughs> Every time I fret, I worry, and I look at my wife, who is cool as a cucumber, and I go, are you seriously not, not worried about this? And she's like, what good is worrying going to do? And I'm like, oh. I'm like in the rocking chair. I'm like, oh, I'll tell you what good it's going to do, right? Like, every single time. I promise you, her way is better because she's applying all the stuff that I'm telling you that I don't apply, Okay. Identify the specific worries, work to change what you can, and then leave what you can't change with God. Now, guys, I leave you as Joshua left the children of Israel, staring at the walls of Jericho with God's plans for victory. Okay? You can trust it, even if it doesn't make sense, or you can keep trying to, to hold on to control. 
and go, no, that's a really bad plan. Walking around that seven times ain't going to do nothing. So let me come up with my plan. The choice is yours. But I implore you, I implore you to listen to the wisdom of the word of God. To be not like me, but be like my wife. Okay? Be, be like how Jesus is telling us to be. Amen?